This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including writing creative nonfiction. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us with the Weekly Standard is John McCormick, who's been tracking the politics of the uh, Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement. And huge news uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, John, when every Democrat but one voted against President Obama and blocked moving forward on TPP. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, I can believe it. It's a big win for Elizabeth Warren, and it's a big loss for President Obama. Um, I think there was a you know really good piece uh, explaining why the Democrats balked at this. I mean, it's not just the the politics of it, you know, the fact that big labor opposes it and progressives oppose it. Uh, but, you know, Dana Milbank, the liberal Washington Post columnist, had a piece out today talking about how the president's tactics, uh, you know, were condescending and insulting and involved ridiculing his opponents rather than trying to uh, persuade them. You know, he was, Milbank said that Obama. Had, wait, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Somebody was noticing that President Obama mocks and ridicules people who don't agree with him. I, I, this has been going on for six plus years now. <laughs> Where's the surprise? Well, yeah, I mean Dana Milbank and congressional Democrats sure liked it when that was the president's approach to, you know, passing Obamacare or really anything else that's been controversial in his tenure. But uh, you know, they don't like it when the uh, when the tables are turned and and they're the ones taking uh, taking the heat. So. Um, it, it's really interesting to see this, you know, play out. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of an issue. I think Matt Continetti had a good piece recently at the Washington Free Beacon on this, saying that, uh, you know, it's really this is the, it's like immigration for Republicans. You know, immigration divides the conservative base from the, you know, business-friendly, you know, establishment. And on this issue, it's the progressives and big labor versus, you know, some more centrist Democrats. The question is, where are the centrist Democrats right now? I mean, there was only one Democrat um, who voted uh, for cloture today to, to move forward on this bill, and um, it really seems like Elizabeth Warren is sort of leading the party in the Senate and the so-called pro-trade Democrats really just ended up giving in to the political pressure in the end. Uh, Senator Tom Carper of Delaware was the one Democrat who voted with the president and uh, I think you, uh, you raised a very uh, interesting issue. This idea that the moderate Democrats apparently didn't show up and some people would argue either cynically or flipply or in my case just for comedy effect, that there are no moderate Democrats left. That the rise of the Obama movement, followed by the rise of the Occupy Warren movement, have not left a lot of moderates for someone like President Obama to turn to on an issue that traditionally would have been fairly bipartisan, which is trade. Yeah, I mean, there was supposed to be this group of uh, pro-trade Democrats 
Democrats and even Ron Wyden of Oregon, you know, as of yesterday, he was out there tweeting about how this is an important bill, we really need this. And then today he sort of flip-flops and says that as long as they don't have this, you know, an extra couple of votes on a couple of different bills, uh, which critics say are poison pills, essentially something like currency manipulation, that if, if this is included, it can't pass. Um, so it's really interesting how they buckled. I mean, I would be interested to see what exactly, you know, if there was some real tipping point here, you know, was it the president's simply his failure to be persuasive or did, you know, big labor really come in hard and, uh, and get these guys to buckle? Yeah, that is an interesting question. I thought uh, your colleague, our colleague at the Weekly Standard, uh, Stephen Hayes, put it succinctly. He said, as of now, the most powerful Democrat in America is Elizabeth Warren because she can defy the sitting uh, Democratic president and have her way on a trade bill. Exactly. I mean, this is the one issue that was supposed to be the, you know, the easy, the no-brainer where Republicans and Democrats could work together on a substantive issue and actually get it passed. I mean, people often talk about tax reform. That's actually a much harder push because you're going to have these ideological disagreements about the top tax rate and raising your revenue. Uh, but, you know, this was the one where Obama was on the side with Mitch McConnell and he was supposed to be able to get it through. And I think it just shows how ineffective uh, the president is as a leader. He can't even get his own party on board. I, I think it's pretty uh, amazing. You know, it's obviously not just the Democrats here. There have been a few Republicans who have, uh, you know, gone the other way. Mike Huckabee was running a more sort of populist campaign this year, uh, defending Social Security and Medicare from any sort of reforms whatsoever. And uh, Rand Paul, of all people, you know, a libertarian, uh, you don't expect a libertarian to be against trade, but he's sort of gone back and forth flip-flopping here and there. Uh, as Ramesh Panuru points out at National Review today, he's been all over the place. Um, and speaking of the Republicans, I watched some of uh, Senator Orrin Hatch's speech on the floor uh, of the Senate, and he was truly angry. I mean, he used the kind of vicious language that moderate squish Republicans like him usually reserve for conservative Republicans. Just watching a moderate Republican attack Democrats for a change was, for me, refreshing, but certainly a surprise. And well, when, when someone like Hatch gets that angry, it, it usually involves some sort of process issue or, they, or something deeper where, uh, you know, the Democrats had an agreement that just completely pulled the rug out from underneath them, and that's exactly what happened here. You know, the Democrats are saying they had been promised votes on these other bills, the so-called poison pills, and Hatch is, you know, at the, at the center of all this and says that is absolutely not true. There was no agreement at any point in time. Um, you know, but in general, most Republicans are on board with this. You know, someone like Marco Rubio is, has made the case that this is important for our our relationship with our allies in the Pacific, you know, this deal does not include uh, China, our adversary, and it's, you know, supposed to help strengthen countries like from Japan to Australia, 11 different countries um, besides our own. Um, and I think it's really, it just shows that Democrats are they're willing to put not only, you know, sound centrist economic policy uh, second place, but they're willing to really sort of not care about the America's position in the world and our relationship with our allies uh, if that doesn't help them with their with the big labor or their uh, progressive base. Yeah, well, I mean, we can look past that. I mean, the fact is that uh, the knee-jerk left that's unserious, uh, that, that defies trade or opposes trade, they're just not serious economically, and they don't even pretend to be. This is a pure political uh, sop to uh, uh, organized labor. Every economist, even you know, far left economists, acknowledge that free trade equals more wealth for the countries that participate on both sides. So that's not a real. You know, I don't. I don't even want to waste time debating the economics because this is like debating what do you get when you add two plus two. But there is a powerful Democrat, and I, I, I tell you, John, I have been scouring the interwebs. Uh, I, I've even stumbled into a few porn sites. Okay, maybe not stumbled. I can't find a single reference 
to Hillary Clinton's position on this bill, this bill that all of her former federal, uh, uh, former U.S. senators, save one, voted against. Well, she hasn't taken a position on a lot of things. I think I just saw what she hasn't answered a question in three weeks. She's only answered eight questions so far. Uh, okay, I have to interrupt you right there. I have to interrupt you. I'm sorry. I hate to fact correct you, uh, John. You're an outstanding reporter for the Weekly Standard. But she did answer the question at a Iowa diner, where's the ladies' room? She did answer that, and she was, <laughs> was very helpful. Was that number helpful. nine or was that number eight? She was helpful to one of the people that her campaign had pre-vetted to allow them to come in as an, as an everyday American. So she does have that. But no, do you think she can get away, particularly now that this is kind of a news story? I mean, let's face it, you know, I do media, you do media. People's eyes tend to glaze over on you know, issues like this. But now that there is this hot news story, Democrats breaking a deal with Republicans, Democrats defying their own president, can Hillary Clinton stay in the campaign bunker and avoid talking about how she would have voted if she were still in the U.S. Senate today? Well, if the press continues to roll over, I mean, I think the press has gone really soft and are hoping that they would get some access over the last month. They just played patty cake with her, you know, that there, there would be some sort of uh, reward for them. But, I mean, what, a month into this campaign, hardly anyone's gotten asked her a question. At this point, you know, she is the likely Democratic nominee, even money uh, to win the presidency. And the fact that she won't take a position on her own, the president of her own party's uh, trade promotion authority, that, that's an issue in of itself. And I mean, the way that the press makes a candidate who's in the bunker get out of the bunker is that they start writing Hillary Clinton stonewalls on X. Hillary Clinton won't take a position on trade. And that becomes a story. And if that becomes a story enough, eventually the candidates have to you know, take a position. They, they pay a price for their decision to, to, to not answer the press's questions. I think so far, she really hasn't paid much of a price, aside from a few you know, stories in the National Journal here, a Washington Post blog item there, a little bit from the New York Times occasionally. But really, you know, there hasn't been too much of a price to pay for her uh, for stonewalling the press. And maybe this will change because it's such a big issue right now, and it divides her own party. You know, I've heard some arguments about the uh, president's plan to usurp the role of the Senate to make a deal with Iran. That goes along the lines of, well, you know, you can't really blame Senate Democrats for backing their president. That, you know, party loyalty plays a role. You know, uh, wanting to promote other issues that you need the White House support on plays a role. But I think this, this vote today makes that I have to support the president on Iran vote far more difficult. What does a Senate Democrat who had no problem defying the president on behalf of the unions say when he says, well, I can't defy the president on behalf of keeping the dangerous Islamist mullahs of Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Well, politicians are, you know, usually pretty comfortable being inconsistent hypocrites and just not 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 acknowledging the contradiction. But you're right; that is a glaring contradiction. That uh, what you'd go along with the president lockstep and just defer to him on an issue like Iran getting nuclear weapons, uh, fundamentalist Islamists getting nuclear weapons. But when it comes to us. What you know, buying some TVs from overseas—that's uh, a you know—that's a huge issue where Congress needs to step in and and and, and you know block anything that we haven't that we might actually get through. Um, yeah, I think that's a huge inconsistency, and I don't know if any of them will you know take a explain that uh, that that glaring inconsistency. But will Republicans be smart enough to let this fight inside the Democratic Party? Fester. Will they be smart enough to, instead of protecting a president who has, let's face it, been nothing but antagonistic to the Congress as a body 
and to Republicans in the Congress in particular, will they be smart enough to say, uh, Mr. President, you made this bed, you made this bed with your Democratic friends, the same people who broke our own rules and uh, to, in order to force through, say, Obamacare, you can now lie with them and you can fight this fight and we're just going to sit on the sidelines until you have the fight with your fellow Democrats to get the vote. Yeah, I mean, Republicans are, are almost all on board with the, the bill that came to the floor today. I, I guess the question is whether or not McConnell will decide to bring these other, uh, you know, two or three uh, bills to the floor in conjunction with the uh, trade bill. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think McConnell did a good job, uh, you know, just last month with that bill to help sex trafficking victims. You know, Democrats at the last minute pulled the rug out from under their feet so they wouldn't support it until it paid for elective abortions with taxpayer funds. Uh, McConnell held firm and eventually, you know, Democrats pretty much caved, took a face-saving deal. Um, so with McConnell, you know, the question, I don't really know the, the merits of these uh, bills that the Democrats now claim they want in there. I mean, if they're poison pills, it, it sort of defeats the purpose of even passing this thing in the first place. So um, I think McConnell's in a pretty good position. You know, I mean, you can criticize him on ideological grounds, but he's pretty well known for being a, a pretty smart tactician. I wonder how he's going to, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, handles this particular issue. But I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get at is there's going to be a presidential race in 2016. The Democrats are already in a bad spot with quote, everyday Americans, which, John, can I just point out how stupid that phrase is? I don't know about you. Uh, I was born in uh, Los Angeles. I grew up in South Carolina. I'm an American pretty much every day. I, I, I don't know anyone who's American Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then, you know, Belgian Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. But uh, Hillary Clinton has a problem with, quote, everyday Americans. I, uh, you probably saw the new poll from New Hampshire that shows that only 13% of people in New Hampshire said that she understood you know, people like themselves, that she understood your problems. Isn't this a good issue for Republicans being purely politically cynical to make the Democrats fight this fight until the blue-collar union uh, Democrats are still part of their coalition, coalition. Man, Hillary Clinton, you can't trust her on the issues you care about. This is an everyday American issue that she either is getting wrong or won't step up for, and uh, and you know play smart uh, long ball politics heading into 2016. Well, sure, and the, and the way they could do that is by just standing pat and bringing up this identical bill for a vote every few weeks or once a month, and eventually, sooner or later, Hillary Clinton's going to have to take a position on it. Well, in the world of reasonable people, I would agree with you, but in the world of the current press corps that's obsessed with asking Ted Cruz to cook his favorite Cuban paella for them live on national television, I don't know that that's the case, but we'll see. John McCormick, thanks for watching the politics of the trade deal and joining us here on the podcast. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.